are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. Hey everyone, we have finally arrived. We've come to the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. You guys are incredible. Well done. So many of you have joined us each morning on our prayer calls, and it's been so encouraging to see the dedication and commitment of this church body coming together to pray and seek the Lord. Now we can feast and celebrate all the testimonies that come out of these 21 days. Also, we're not finished praying. Starting this coming Friday morning and every Friday morning thereafter, you will have an opportunity to continue to come together and pray. Every Friday morning, we'll gather on Zoom from 7 to 7.30 a.m. for church-wide prayer to continue to cultivate a culture of prayer in our church. We'll lift up our church, our city, our nation, and the world, especially our global partners. So I hope that you will all put it in your calendar now. So I even invite you right now to take out your phones, create a calendar invite for every Friday morning at 7 a.m. Make it a weekly recurring meeting and join us as we seek the Lord together. We're now on week four of our series, Worthy of the Call. We're in the second half of Ephesians and the Apostle Paul is giving us a playbook for how to take off the cloak of the sinful world and put on the royal coat of righteousness. We're seeking to truly live as a changed people. Just as our church is super diverse, the church in Ephesus that Paul was speaking to was extremely diverse as well. Many of its members had come out of pagan worldly living, and they were seeking to live like Christ and walk in the way of love. So we wanna learn from the Apostle Paul's words because it is just as relevant for us now as it was for the church in Ephesus then. When Aaron and I lived in Boston, we were doing ministry and some of under-resourced communities plagued by generations of poverty, violence, and addiction. Boston is known for its thick accents, right? Pack the can, have it yet. It's also known for movies like Goodwill Hunting or The Departed. And the interesting thing about these movies and the general vocabulary of many Bostonians is that the F word is spoken very frequently in conversations. Well, Aaron and I had the opportunity to minister to two 20-something guys who were born and raised in Boston. So think Goodwill Hunting. Their names were Jonathan Mercer and Jeff Chasen. It was wicked awesome to get to minister to these guys who were coming out of addiction. And yet, as we discipled them, we had to try and help them understand that testimony time during church was not the best time to drop F-bombs, especially with kids in the room. They were learning to take off the cloak of the world and put on the new coat of righteousness. But it was a journey. We had to help them keep their passion and yet modify their language to speak to a broader audience. Once you've drawn a line in the sand, as Pastor Kevin explained last week, and say, I have chosen to follow Jesus, then through the power of the Holy Spirit, you must shed off your old self and walk as a new creation. The outer cloak that you've been carrying that was full of guilt and shame or trying to get attention, impress others, or protect yourself from rejection, all of that has to come off. When we take off that old cloak, there will be parts that you are shedding that might hurt or will feel like more of a sacrifice. And then when you put on the new coat, 
it might be a little tight at first and feel a bit restrictive, but eventually you'll find that this new coat is actually more comfortable and freeing, maybe like a stretchy warm fleece. So why does it matter? Why must we live into this vision of a new creation with a new royal coat of righteousness? If we don't step into this new identity, then we will end up just being self-righteous and pious, relying on our own merits. Shedding that old cloak helps us remember that we are no longer who we once were, but we are now a new creation with a new identity as a follower of Jesus. Those old behaviors and old ways of living no longer define us. We're made new. Therefore, we live as a new people, walking in unity and in love with one another. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul first addresses how we talk to one another, the language that we use. He stresses that language is important and that our language to one another matters. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Ephesians 4.29. First of all, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, for some of you, this is harder than others, depending on how you grew up or how you've been shaped or formed as a teen or young adult. For others, perhaps those who have struggled with self-righteousness or pride, this isn't hard at all because you would never use those words that those pagans use. For me, I used to be one of the self-righteous Christians who just judged others for using unwholesome language and speech, and then I became a parent. <laughs> can I get a witness? Maybe you can relate. When I became a parent, I lost all sense of control in my life, and words just started flowing out of my mouth that I never even knew I had stored in my word bank. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it certainly surprises me and anyone in earshot. <laughs> and it reminds me of how much I am in desperate need of Jesus. Now, before we go much further, I want to define unwholesome talk because it's not just the language we use or curse words. Unwholesome talk means to cause rot or decay. Are the words you are using and the conversations you're having speaking life and blessing over people or are they causing rot and decay? How do we talk about or talk to our coworkers, our boss, our in-laws, our siblings, the political opposition, or other ethnic groups? Are your words building them up or causing rot and decay, even behind their backs? Now, I'm not very good at keeping plants alive in general, but there have been many studies to show that in just six days, with two plants that are exactly the same, getting a, the exact same amount of sunlight, watered on the same schedule, where one is spoken to with praise and encouragement, and the other is spoken to with negative language and mean phrases. The plant spoken to with negative language inevitably wilts and dies, while the other plant that was praised lives and thrives. Our words matter. How we speak to one another matters. Even how we speak about people when they're not in the room, it matters. The interesting thing about this first verse in our passage is that it is not just a list of what we are not to do, but the Apostle Paul lays out the why and shares what we are to do instead. 
The reason we are not meant to let any unwholesome talk spill from our mouths is because we are only supposed to speak things that are meant to build up one another. We're meant to speak in such a way that those listening can actually hear us and respond in a meaningful way. Does the other person walk away from the conversation with you seeing themselves more like the way that God sees them? For example, with my son, if I say, Elijah, you do such a great job unloading the dishwasher and taking responsibility for your plates. Could you please help me unload the dishwasher now? Versus, Elijah, you need to unload the dishwasher. How many times do I need to tell you? It's so frustrating that I have to continually remind you. You can ask Elijah which one sounds more like his mom. On second thought, maybe don't ask him. We are not meant to speak in a way that just draws attention to ourselves or makes us look cool or puts the other person down. We're meant to speak to one another in a way that helps build up the person we are speaking to. It sounds so simple and yet it's often so hard to do. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where the other person is just talking the whole time and not asking you any questions? Just the other day, I was talking to someone and they asked me how my family was doing. While I launched in on my monologue and just started going on and on about what was going on with me, I was so excited to talk with this person that I was unaware of how much I was talking. I literally and very consciously had to stop myself and turn the focus in the conversation onto this other person. I had to force myself to start asking them questions and seek to encourage them, building them up instead of spending the whole conversation focused on talking about myself. The challenge for us is to be curious enough in a conversation to really understand what is going on in someone else's life, to listen so well that we're able to speak a specific word of encouragement that will build someone up. It's often very difficult to deny yourself the opportunity to indulge in whatever you wanna say or what you'd like to share in an effort to focus on someone else and build that person up. It requires self-control, patience, love, kindness, gentleness. Maybe those sound familiar. For instance, if you have really strong emotions about a particular issue or even a particular political candidate, it requires a lot of patience and self-control to truly listen to the opposite point of view and seek to understand where someone might be coming from before you share your own opinion or try to tear apart what you've just heard. It requires so much self-discipline. I don't know how many of you are ever tempted to gossip about other people, but I know I have certainly struggled with this. Maybe I've been hurt by someone or shocked by this way that someone treats me. And instead of just taking these things to the Lord or even going to the person who hurt me, it's so much easier to just turn to my friend and be like, you will never believe what so-and-so did. And then you proceed to tear down the person who hurt you behind their backs. It's a terrible sin. Brene Brown calls this common enemy intimacy. It's when you forge a counterfeit connection, which is the opposite of true belonging. If the bond we share with others is simply that we hate the same people, the intimacy we experience is often intense, immediately gratifying, and an easy way to let out outrage and pain. It is not, however, fuel for real connection. 
It's fuel that runs hot, burns fast, and leaves a trail of polluted emotion. And if we live with any level of self-awareness, it's also the kind of intimacy that can leave us with intense regret and guilt. Did I just participate in that? Is that moving us forward? Am I engaging in quite literally the exact same behavior that I find loathsome in others? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Instead, build up one another. So how are we gonna do this? How are we not going to tear others down? Our neighbors, coworkers, family, our enemies. How are we going to stop gossiping and talking behind others' backs? The only solution is the Holy Spirit. The most important thing that is revealed when we fail to build up those around us and instead put the focus on ourselves or gossip about others is that we are entirely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Left to our own devices, we will surely fail. Which is why after this first verse, the Apostle Paul writes, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30. Walking in the way of Jesus or walking in the way of love can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Pastor Amy, what does it mean to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm so glad you asked. It means that you very intentionally and consciously surrender your heart and your mind over to the Lord, dying to yourself, letting go of your own desires and allowing God to work through you with the power of his Holy Spirit. If we don't live in the power of the Holy Spirit, then living out our faith becomes a list of rules or law that we must try to follow in our own strength. And we will fail. God gave me a vision a couple of years ago of an ugly white PVC pipe connected to heaven and running all the way down to earth. And he said, Amy, you are meant to be this PVC pipe and my Holy Spirit will just flow through you and bring about transformation. When you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you don't have to do anything special and you don't have to look particularly fancy. It's not about you at all. You just have to be connected to heaven and be an open, willing vessel that the Holy Spirit can flow through. As we abide in Jesus and stay connected to the Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit's power will flow through us and the result is that we will speak in such a way that we are building one another up. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. It flows through you and empowers you to think of others and focus on others more than on yourself. It does not come naturally, not to most of us. You might literally have to bite your tongue or hold your breath so you stop yourself from speaking. And while you do this, start praying. Holy Spirit, show up. I need you to give me words right now because I know responding how my flesh wants to respond will tear this person down. And I'm called to wear a royal coat of righteousness to build up one another. In John chapter 15, five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is how we are to actualize the words of Paul. We must remain in Jesus and through the power of the Spirit, we will bear fruit. So how do we remain in Jesus? 
We spend time with him through conversational prayer, speaking and listening. We read his words so that we understand what the voice of God sounds like. We listen to and sing worship songs to him so our hearts are aligned with his. I realize this is obvious, but go with me. A grapevine doesn't bear apples and an apple tree doesn't bear coconuts. If we are, remain in Christ, then the fruit of our lives, how we speak and the content of our conversations will reflect Christ. If we remain in the vine, we have the opportunity to bear grapes. And those grapes can be eaten raw. They can be used for making jam or jelly, juice, vinegar, wine, raisins, or grapeseed oil. We were each created for a purpose. And if we remain in Christ Jesus, the vine, then we will see that purpose come to fruition. Earlier in chapter four of Ephesians, we're reminded that each of us has a role to play. God might use us to sing, teach, host, do administrative things, or be door holder number three. But if we stay connected to Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, then we will undoubtedly reflect Christ in how we speak, converse, and build one another up no matter what role we play. So in this verse, it's interesting that the, the Apostle Paul uses the word grieve when he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Many of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think of a power, an influence, or a source. Many struggle with the idea of the Holy Spirit as a person. However, the Holy Spirit is very much a person, just as God the Father and Jesus the Son are both persons, the three persons making up our one God. The Holy Spirit has a distinct role, personality, and engages with us in, in specific ways. So when Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption, Paul is literally saying, please don't hurt the person who has secured your salvation. Don't cause hurt and pain to this person who loves you so much. Not only do you hurt and grieve the person of the Holy Spirit, but you also cause the Holy Spirit to be sad for Jesus. The Holy Spirit's like, do you not know how much he loves you and all that he has done for you? When you live your life saying whatever you want, focused on building yourself up without the acknowledgement of what God has done for you or without being sacrificial, then the Holy Spirit's like, mate, you've missed it. Don't you know how much I love you? The Holy Spirit just loves you so much and he knows how much Jesus loves you too. The Holy Spirit knows that Jesus poured out his life for you. So when we do not live our lives bearing the fruit of the vine, instead producing sour apples and rotten coconuts in place of lush, juicy grapes, we miss out on bringing glory to God. And that's sad for the Holy Spirit. And honestly, it should be sad for us too. The Apostle Paul goes on to share on a deeper level how we are to engage with one another. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Once again, Paul is driving home the point that how we engage and speak to one another matters. Here's the thing, at the time of Paul's writing, the church in Ephesus, rather than uphold the sanctity of its Christian faith, had largely sold out to the political powers of the city. 
instead of shining as a beacon of Christian faith, hope, and love, the church had aligned itself with the powers of darkness and embraced the vile nature of corrupt politics. They had forsaken their first love. They were more focused on their political allegiances. Now, I can imagine that with a church so diverse, there were a variety of differing and conflicting political allegiances. Oh my, sounds like we could replace Ephesus with Washington, D.C., or even the United States. The Apostle Paul starts these verses with pointing out the problem and the temptation. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, referring to our flesh or the old self. Then he moves to a vision of what it looks like to walk in the way of love, to embody kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Walking in the way of love requires patience. It's not a sprint or even a light jog. You're not going to get there fast. It is a steady and slow-paced walk. It's a narrow path and a long road, but it is the most fulfilling and beautiful walk you could ever imagine. When we've been hurt and begin to speak ill of those who have hurt us, we are slandering that person from a place of anger. We often do this with people, with the people that we're closest to. I've sat in counseling sessions with married couples and even in front of me, some of the most hurtful things are often said. It is shocking and it often creates deep and painful wounds. When these wounds form, Hurt, bitterness, and malice grow in our hearts and our minds. The enemy loves to use these moments to get a foothold in our lives, to try and kill, rob, and destroy our relationships and the amazing things that God wants to do through us. The opposite of this negative response to being hurt is kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. It is often the harder path, but walking in love and forgiveness is so much more freeing and full of joy. If you walk in unforgiveness and bitterness, then you remain in bondage and the life you live is hands down more unpleasant. Choosing to forgive one another, extending forgiveness and compassion instead of bitterness and slander is the path to an abundant life. It is also very countercultural. Therefore, when we walk in forgiveness, the impact on those around us is incredibly powerful. It is so vastly different from the way the world typically operates. So when we see it in others, it draws us in and encourages curiosity. There might be no other place in the world right now that is more in need of forgiveness than in Israel and Palestine. The recent war has escalated century-old tensions and without forgiveness, the cycle of retaliation is sure to continue. Two people who have really inspired me by their level of forgiveness are Rabi and Mohammed. Rabi is a Jewish Israeli woman whose son was killed by a Palestinian sniper several years ago. Mohammed, who lives in Jenin in the West Bank, lost his brother in 2002 from an attack by Israeli soldiers. Mohammed also recently lost his best friend and some of his neighbors with the increased violence in the West Bank. Both Rabi and Mohammed have chosen the path of peace and forgiveness, reaching across ethnic, cultural, religious, and racial lines to build genuine relationships and seek peace. It's incredibly powerful and also really, really hard. 
Today at 4 p.m., I'm actually hosting Robbie and Mohammed this afternoon at the Ministry Center, if you wanna come. You can actually meet them and hear their stories in person. They are both part of the Parent Circle Families Forum, which is an organization where Israelis and Palestinians who have lost a family member to the ongoing conflict, they come together. They allow their common grief to unite them and propel them towards peace, reconciliation, and justice. Their work of nonviolent peace building is an act of defiance in the face of ongoing evil and violence. If you wanna come, you can register with us using this QR code. Saying I forgive you over and over again and truly meaning it to people who have hurt you deeply is one of the hardest and yet most freeing experiences you could ever have. There's a reason that Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Practicing forgiveness is not optional as a Christian. And I believe in the increasing polarization of our culture, forgiveness is a discipline that we will be tested by, not just in the world, but in the church. How do we maintain relationships amongst difference? How do we forgive people who have genuinely hurt us and our families? As a counselor, the thing I've learned about forgiveness is that when you are willing to truly forgive someone, extending forgiveness, even when it feels really painful or unjust, it's a way to free yourself from the bondage and pain that bitterness and resentment brings. For example, I have seen marriages being held together by a single thread where there are even grounds for divorce and genuine forgiveness has healed even the most hurt of relationships. To walk in the way of love and forgiveness is to walk in freedom. The Lord's desire is for you to live fully and abundantly. But if you're harboring bitterness in your heart because of something that someone said to you last Sunday after the service, or you are gossiping about your brothers and sisters in the church community, you're living in bondage and you're allowing the enemy to win. If we can't get this right in the church and live in unity, how will we ever get it right out in the world? So as you make a conscious choice to walk in the way of Jesus, seek to forgive one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. If Christ can forgive you all of your sins, surely you can forgive Bob for ghosting you on Coffee Meets Bagel, or you can forgive Sally for not inviting you to the girls' night dinner and a movie. I know I'm making light, and there are some very deep wounds that many are carrying, but none of our wounds are deeper than carrying the sin of the entire world on the cross. As scripture prophetically says in Isaiah 53, by his stripes, we are healed. Allow your wounds to be healed by the wounds of Christ. Finally, the Apostle Paul encourages us to follow in the example of God and to love one another. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Notice the identity that the Apostle Paul gives to these followers of Jesus, dearly loved children. When you know you are loved, it's easier to walk in the way of love. When you know you are loved, it's easier to live a life of sacrifice for others. It comes down to knowing who you are and whose you are. 
when you know who you are and ultimately find your identity in Christ, then the struggle with insecurity is diminished because you are walking confidently in God's love. When my kids know that they are fully loved by me, then all anxiety and worry leaves them. Then they are able to relax and be confident and live out who they were created to be. It's the same with God the Father's love. How do we know that God the Father loves us and sees us as his dearly loved children? All we have to do is look at the sacrifice of Jesus to see this. Our forgiveness and love towards others is a response to his love for us. Now, it is truly only through the power of the Holy Spirit that the words that I am about to say to you will have any chance of penetrating your heart and connecting to your soul. So I say, Holy Spirit, move. Jesus desperately loves you. He went to war for you. That's what the cross was all about, a spiritual battle. He went to war for your heart and he won, but he would never force you to love him back. Just like a healthy parent loves their child completely, unconditionally, desperate for their child to receive that love, and yet hopeful that the child reciprocates love in return, so does our Heavenly Father. His love is a perfect love, an untainted and pure love. All we have to do is receive it. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. We can only truly love one another because of the love that we receive from the Lord. If you're not walking with Jesus and you're not walking in step with the Holy Spirit, then loving one another will be near impossible. You'll be trying to love in your own strength and you will most likely fail. Our natural instinct and often the way of the world is to put up walls, to be skeptical, and operate from a place of distrust. The world tries to get us to be the victim or to fight from a place of entitlement. Both of these postures are rooted in deep fear, making it very difficult for us to love others. However, when you recognize all that God has done for you and how much He absolutely loves you, then you find yourself securely fastened in that love. Then you can give love freely without fear. 1 John 4:18 tells us, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The Christian life is one where the bar is set pretty high. Our example is Jesus and he's perfect. However, his love is so thorough, limitless and passionate and His Spirit is so full of grace and kindness that when you choose to surrender to that love, you move from a place of bondage to sin to complete freedom in Jesus. It sounds so counterintuitive that surrendering to the Lord, allowing Him to have complete control of our lives actually brings about more freedom and abundant life than we can ever imagine. How do we walk in the way of love? We build up one another, we forgive one another, and we love one another, just as Christ Jesus has lavishly done all of these for us. So we walk in the power of the Spirit, and in turn, we live a life worthy of the calling through our words, our forgiveness, and our love. I want you to join me in prayer. Some of you are having a hard time receiving the love of the Father. 
And I wanna pray for you to see yourself as dearly loved children of God. And I want you to begin to receive his love. Some of you are acting in ways that grieve the Holy Spirit. And I wanna pray for your hearts to turn to the Lord and be so secure in him that you no longer do or say the things that stand in the way of walking in love. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful and grateful for your love and your forgiveness that you pour out on us. You lavishly pour out on each one of us. Oh, Holy Father, I pray that you would help us receive it. Help us receive your love. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in our hearts to remove the barriers that keep us from receiving the Lord's love. And God, I pray that you would move us to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have on our lives. I pray that we would be free from the, the shackles and the bondage of this world, from the bitterness, the slander, the malice, the unwholesome talk that keeps us in chains, that tears others down, that doesn't allow us to live our lives fully for you. Holy Spirit, remove those chains, remove those shackles so that we can live freely for you, Lord. Open our hearts to receiving more love from you, Lord, that we might just be an extension, an ugly PVC pipe that your Holy Spirit can work through. We love you, Lord. We are so grateful for who you are, for the fact that you love us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us for District Church Online.